we both had to sacrifice on different sides of the on different sides of the spectrum. Marcus had to sacrifice a lot of happiness being on on set and working in production. I had to sacrifice not getting better at my craft and you know pushing paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we've definitely had an understanding. You know we come back and we look at each other like your day sucked. Yeah, your day suck. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's different reasons, but it's been around the same thing. And uh, yeah, that it's, uh, it's a it's a difficult process at this stage. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hello, everyone. My name is Michael Luther, and I'm the producer of the podcast, and welcome to episode 30, where we're going to sit down with an act two discussion with Leading Lobos, a production company ran by Marcus Friedlander and Nick Smith. Uh, You previously in episode 29 got to hear about their individual journeys of how they uh, came to this career path and how they met one another and how they elevated their relationship from friends to be from friendship to partnership of a business. And so much was shared uh, between these two, but I get to join the conversation now. So I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Uh, a lot has happened since I last record uh, an intro outro for one of our episodes. As uh, some of our listeners who follow us on social media know, the past few weeks have been very hectic for me. I to, to basically sum it up, I had to go to the emergency room because I was pushing myself way too hard uh, a few weeks back. I was doing an eight-hour audit for an acting class. I was uh, driving for Uber to help, you know, build up money to for an upcoming move that I was going to have. And then I also th- decided to throw in, in the mix of things, a rehearsal for my acting class. So all to say I wasn't drinking enough water, not enough food. And I hadn't really had much sleep the night before, and I decided the solution would be coffee, 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 coffee. And fortunately, I wasn't driving anyone, but it was very late at night here in Los Angeles, and I got out of my car to get some fresh air because I thought that's what I needed, but upon stepping out of my vehicle, I fainted and fell into the middle of the street. And a million and one things could have happened to me. But I'm very fortunate that they didn't. But I did wake up with a really bad headache. um, And I knew that something was wrong. So called 911 and uh, was rushed to uh, the closest emergency room. And I received amazing care. My girlfriend came. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. My girlfriend came to be with me in the ER while uh, they had to fix me up, as it were. Um, So it was a scary few hours. And... The following week, uh, Daniel, uh, the host of the podcast, uh, you know, tried the best he could to communicate to you, our supporters, what was going on with me. And there was a lot of questions and everything. But one thing that was really, really touching was the wave of support I received from you. I, I received your Twitter messages and Instagram messages, and it meant so much to me, uh, words can't really capture the gratitude that I feel for listeners who, you know, you, you, you listen to this podcast and you're following our journey and 
you know, I don't, I haven't met you yet, or maybe we haven't uh, spoken with each other yet, but the love was received. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you. And, you know, sending love back your way. Uh, I am in now full health. I'm, I'm properly rested, still on the mend. Um, my, my head needs a little bit more time, uh, to heal before I start, you know, doing jumping jacks again, but I'm, I'm back to work. I'm back in acting class and I am much more aware now than I previously was of the real limitations. I, this podcast is called Hollywood Hustle and by all means, Day to day to day, many artists in this town are working hard 24 hours a day sometimes, moving from job to job to gig to gig, all trying to chase that passion. And and it's a beautiful thing, but we do, as artists, as, as human beings, we just need to be responsible. I need to be responsible for my own health because I thought I could keep driving until 1.30 in the morning and, you know, have a packed schedule and think that I could get out of it okay. But, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> it led to my girlfriend needing to come out to the emergency room. Uh, Daniel, uh, he had, he'd gotten a brief message from Karen roughly describing what had happened. But, and, and, and you guys were all of a sudden, you know, you saw this these messages online and it was a scary moment, but all that being said, I am much more aware now of my limitations and how I need to properly focus my energy into not only, you know, certainly keeping up the hustle and, you know, artistically keeping myself going, 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 but also to take a step back and to also schedule rests, um, rest from work, rest from acting, rest from podcasting, just being more aware and bringing more balance into my life. So uh, all that being said, even while I was healing on the mend, uh, I apologize if the sound quality isn't as it normally is, is because I just moved to a new apartment this week. Um, You're listening to this uh, podcast on October 3rd. That's a Tuesday. So I just moved last Tuesday uh, to my new apartment. I'm still in the same neighborhood, but all leveling up into quality of living and being going towards a place that I really want to be, that I want to continue building my relationship with Karen and building my life here in Los Angeles. So I'm really excited to embrace this new chapter. Um, <laughs> my, my The previous chapter ended pretty uh, in a big way, but I'm excited to see the changes and the growth that I'll be experiencing in the coming weeks and in the coming months and hopefully years in this new home. Um, Also want to take a moment and welcome back our sound editor, Kel Tarados. He had been away for the past few weeks in Japan, uh, visiting his girlfriend out there and getting a taste for Japan because he's actually going to be moving there in the coming new year. So uh, really excited to hear more about his travels and, and all the new things that is coming up in his world and stuff. So Kel, from me to you, Welcome back, brother. Very happy to have you back. Um, And I'm so excited for you as well. But speaking on the acting front, I do have a very exciting update. So in the week that I finally started back to acting class, I have also booked a commercial. And 
what's amazing is that this was an opportunity that didn't come from an audition, not me going into a room and reading uh, a script. This came from an opportunity of the people who are working in production. Uh, a couple of the uh, people who are actually part of the production team are people that I've worked with in the theater community here in Los Angeles. So they came up with this opportunity. A, a client sought their services to shoot this commercial, and they thought of me. I was on their shortlist, as they put it. Uh, one of the things that I love about this podcast and one of the running themes that we keep finding amongst all of our guests is that it really is about building a community and building relationships with other people in the industry of whatever your art form is. Uh, and this is a, this is a point in reference that by building relationships and always trying to do my best with the people that I'm with, regardless of the size of production or anything like that, just to always be me and to do the best that I can and to support others in their work that an opportunity can come my way. So I'm really excited. I'm not going to share too much about what it's about because I don't know if there's going to be a non-disclosure agreement that has to be signed. But I'm excited to update you guys uh, in the couple weeks on what that experience is like. I'm filming it actually on the day that this podcast is released. So when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, October 3rd, I will be out in Santa Clarita filming a commercial and living a day as an actor getting paid to do what they love. So I'm I'm beyond excited. I'm already in a new home and I've booked a commercial and I've got my health. Booyah. I'm excited. Um, jumping over to the podcast, though, we've got some really exciting updates. Daniel and I just had a uh, creative session yesterday um, on Saturday and we've got some really great things coming up uh, for this podcast, including a brand new listener prize. So some of you who have been listening to, uh, to us since the beginning may recall we had our first listener prize. Well, we're going to kind of utilize the same methods. We're opening it up to whoever can submit us a review on iTunes starting the release of this podcast Tuesday, October 3rd. We're going to be keeping this contest open for a couple weeks. Uh, all you have to do is submit a review for this podcast on iTunes. Uh, we are on Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Podbean, Podknife, uh, of various podcast listening services. But we would really appreciate if you could jump on over to iTunes and leave us a review. That really helps uh, furthering out our exposure uh, to the podcast community. And we'd love to hear from you. And so we're calling this our Halloween Nunes listener prize. And the reason why we're calling it that is because not only are you going to be receiving a, a Hollywood Hustle, Team Hustle picture of Daniel and I signed by us, um, but you're also going to get a signed uh, movie poster of the f upcoming film Death Ward 13. And that is the movie that stars uh, former podcast guest Ashley Mary Nunes and directed by her brother, Todd Nunez, whose interview is actually going to be released later this month. So it's a big uh, Halloween Nunez celebration. And this is these two are a phenomenal brother and sister team who have collaborated on many projects. And Death War 13 looks to be like another fantastic horror movie. Uh, so it is October. Tis the season. So uh, jump on iTunes, submit a review, and that's all you need to do. And you could win 
a, a brand new listener prize pack, including some really awesome content. So I'm really excited for you guys and to hear from you as well. Um, also, keeping in mind, this week in Los Angeles, on Thursday, October 5th, uh, the band Disciples of Babylon are going to have an album launch party at the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard. Now, the Disciples of Babylon, you may recall, is Eric Knight's rock band. Uh, Eric Knight, uh, he's a few episodes back, um, but he is a musician, an uh, a recording artist, business entrepreneur. This guy is the true definition of what one person can do for their own Hollywood hustle. And he's inviting you, our listeners, if you're in Los Angeles and you're free this Thursday night, join us at the Viper Room on Sunset Boulevard. I mean, the Viper Room is one of the most famous music venues in all of Los Angeles. And they're having uh, an album release for their upcoming album, The Rise and Fall of Babylon. I've listened to it. It's an incredible album. And it's a great opportunity uh, for listeners to come meet Eric, come meet me. I would love to meet you. I'll be there in full force. I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping Daniel will be able to make it as well. But I'll definitely be representing Team Hustle. And to see our podcast guest, Eric Knight, rock it on stage with the Disciples of Babylon. So those are our podcast updates. So let's dive in to our interview with Daniel and Marcus Friedlander and Nick Smith of Leading Lobos. I join this exciting conversation about the role film plays in our lives and why it is such a crucial art form in providing a safe space to initiate important conversations. Marcus and Nick also speak on why Los Angeles is still very relevant in the world of production and film and television and then we finally go around the table to share our favorite movies, our maybe least favorite films, and some of those movies that are just guilty pleasures that we just love watching. So grab some popcorn or your favorite movie theater snack and enjoy Act Two with Leading Lobos. Thank you, guys. Well, we're back here with Marcus and Nick from Leading Lobos. How are you doing, guys? We're good. We're good. now. Great. And we're joined with the man telling me to keep my voice down. Thank you, sir. The man that told David Ayer, hey, why don't you put a little bit more music in Suicide Squad, Mr. Michael Lutheran. Guys, I made that movie. All right, I rescued it. He said, Joker, that's a terrible idea for a villain. Yeah. You don't need Joker. Who's this Harley Quinn? Harley Quinn. Quinn? Quinn? <laughs> Harley, marry me, please. <laughs> exactly. Let's just make a Will Smith movie, guys. That's that's what I want. So, just want to start off real quick this discussion. Um, we're all very big film. Uh, I wouldn't say I don't want to say aficionados, but big film fans. Uh, we love film. We delve into it. I'm a. We, you mentioned in the previous episode listening to director commentaries. People can be weird because I, I love like I, I hate buying a movie that doesn't have a director's commentary on it. Um, I'll put the. I used to put on cast commentaries and stuff when I was like in bed to, like just go to sleep to. As, as sad as that sounds. Yeah, one of my favorite things just growing up watching was the behind the scenes for Lord of the Rings, mm. but the extended edition. Oh, yeah. So it's like the bonus features were like movies in and of themselves. You like spending eight hours watching one film? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Did and you see the bonus features for Hobbit? Not for the Hobbit. They, they have 25 production blogs that are each like 
anywhere between five ten to like an hour long. Well, it goes over every department. I remember on Facebook, uh, Peter Jackson would do a lot of video blogging. Just James Gunn's that right now. Yeah, and like it's a wonderful idea of just keeping track of the film as it's being. I feel like he was just trying to show off his weight loss more than anything (laughs) in that. He needs to rock it. He looked no, he looks he looks fantastic. So just trying to do everything he can to not actually work on the movie because the movie is a mess. (laughs) So uh, I sort of bring I brought that up to bring up you know one of the things I think people argue a lot of times is where does film stand in the importance of everyday life um, why is film important um, you know what, a few topics to go in that like what is the purpose and the responsibility of filmmakers if any um, what, where is film failing where is film succeeding um, things like that so just kind of your opinions on in the sense of the social climate of, of, of uh, our lives where does film uh where is film lost? Can I can I can I include film and television? Absolutely, yes. Okay, absolutely. Because film, film to me is the audiovisual yeah, medium. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it is the single most important piece of art today. And starting off art, let's go. One, because I mean, you 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 go to the you know, Marcus mentioned in the last episode. You can go to the Getty and look at paintings and things like that. The in my opinion, the the most influential art today is film and television. Everybody, not everybody, you connect with your friends because of what you just watched. I mean, you got the new Kendrick Lamar album and things like that, so the music still is a giant piece. But in terms of like you know changing the culture um, and, and influencing the culture, I, I mean, a, a good Christopher Nolan film will have you talking about the state of our world for years. Mm-hmm. And what's great about film, though, is bringing art and music into it. Uh, film, music makes film. Through, through film... Like Suicide you, Squad. You get, such a, <laughs> well, you get such a perfect balance of everything. You mm-hmm. get art, you get music, it's and not, you get story. It's not just music, though. It's, uh, film is uh, a combination of every 20th century art form into one meta art form. You know, it's, it's music, it's stage acting, it's writing. Picture. I'm sorry, what? Picture. Pictures. Uh, art. Yeah, all, all the fine art elements that go into filmmaking as well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a meta art form. That's then uh, um, reflected in the crew as well, uh, this meta crew as we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it, greater than the sum of the parts. And because of that, you have a, an art form that can can do more for more people than any other art form previously. And I also think the, the production of this art form, you know, not to be you know super punny, but it's it's really so mind-boggling for the everyday just fan or passerby or who just you know will just go watch a movie this, I mean, tell me another art form that will take three years to make mm-hmm. a for one piece mm-hmm. one piece of art not to mention if you if you're a filmmaker who has planned out a trilogy um, from the beginning so you I mean your 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 piece of art takes you know 10 12 years unless it's avatar and it just keeps takes on going 20 years. It, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be 11 years from uh, I think uh, the first one to the second one. It's yeah. 2009, and I think they're going to be doing math here, 2020. We're, we're getting back to, to story. Why is, why is it important? Stories have always been, you know, stories around the campfire have been how humans have understood everything for forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, Joseph Campbell and the, the monomyth, that's kind of the basis of uh, all of our modern-day storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph Campbell was a sociologist, went around the world to all these native uh, tribes to listen to their stories and their myths and found... Uh, a lot of similarities in the types of stories that were told, being told and the characteristics uh, of these tribes that have never met each other, never had any contact. And those, those things that are at the core of, of, of those stories, the idea that there's scary, dangerous things out in the world, 
and if we learn whatever skill or lesson we need to learn, we can defeat those scary things as long as we bring it back and kind of work together with the village. That idea has never gone away. It's just been transplanted from fire campfires to big screen TVs and, and film. You know. um, with film, there's also <clears throat> such a great locality as well as global idea that you can experience within a single film or single story, right? Like your E.T., it, the way it's filmed and everything, it feels like it could be shot in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But then it also has this great, wonderful idea of not only extraterrestrial life, but just other big global questions. Mm -hmm. The universality and, of relationships. Mark yes. mentioned this in the first episode, and I think it is so crucial to remember. It Our main export is culture. It's art. Mm -hmm. And that is done through this art form. And I think that is so important to remember because it is on a global scale. And if you think anything less of that, you're not going to be you know, telling the story you need to tell. You need to impact people. You should try. And I think what's interesting also is how um, one film, like just taking like one example of a film, can uh, dig you, take you different top, take you to different topics, and cause you to dig deeper and deeper. Like I take like hidden figures. Uh, for or hidden fences, depending on who you talk to, um, <laughs> talking about hidden figures, where it's like the first idea is have like, wow, why have I never heard this story? And then you go, why have I never heard this story? Why is this story not in a, in the textbook? Well, if it wasn't for the movie, right? You wouldn't have, you wouldn't. No, have heard it. And, that, and that's the yeah. huge beauty to yeah. it. But but, but but again, I, like I say, it delves into like the reason. Then it goes further to almost like social justice. Like, well, why is that excluded from textbooks? And then you look deeper into that, like, well, that's that's not right. Well, and you know what I mean? Like, it goes... I mean, it's literally happening right now. Yeah. Depending on... Yeah, this is going to be... Here we go. Um, <laughs> depending on where you stand right now, that is literally happening right now. You may have your opinions on the Confederate, you know, South, mm -hmm. but they're literally tearing down statues and, and historical monuments right now. And yeah, some some of these you can, you can definitely attribute to... Um, a lot of hate and uh, terrible things that have happened. But, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a saying that goes something along the lines of, if you uh, don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something we really need to remember because, I mean, you're so right. Why are certain things excluded? And it's like, because it's happening right now. We are erasing history right now. And I think it is, it is more important to be reminded of the really, really bad things we've done mm -hmm. than it is to fluff yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I well, I think there's a whole discussion we can go into that sure. and the perception of that. But, tying um, it, tying but I definitely, though, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Tying it back though into art, though, mm -hmm. the the point of I mean, there's a million different answers for what's the point of art. But one of those those answers that something de definitely Nick talked about before is starting conversations. Mm -hmm. If at the end of the movie you had to talk to somebody about it, it was a successful one hundred percent. If seeing something like Hidden Figures makes you think, huh? If it makes you just reflect even for a second, what's going on in the modern day that 50 years from now someone will tell the hidden figures type story mm -hmm. if even for a second it makes you think more globally than you did before the movie as a piece of art has succeeded mm -hmm. absolutely and, and there was a point to it and I think that's a general statement for any piece of art if it makes you talk it's a success mm -hmm. if it makes you connect with somebody or exchange ideas honestly if it makes you get uncomfortable with the ideas I was about to say that the more uncomfortable it, it gets you with your own world ideas probably the more successful we so need that you know? <laughs> well I think it's, it's it's that we have the two worlds you have the escapist art like of Beauty and the Beast things like that but even then those have you still probably talk about tones it. Yeah, that, that have that you can share and go well what about this mm -hmm. 
it is attributed to our social platforms in our world now. You don't have movies without themes. Uh, I've always been a big believer that themes in movies can be related to like a thesis statement mm-hmm. in a normal five paragraph analytic essay. And unless you have a very clear idea of this is the argument my film is making, you can tell an interesting plot, but it won't have that unspoken through line that ties all these little decisions together. It'll just be this was an aesthetically correct decision, this was an aesthetically correct decision, this was... But then you get a movie like, uh, oh God, Only God Forgives. So it had, um, it, it, it is a really dense film in terms of you know where the origin of the story came from. It's like some ancient uh, story and I had no idea what was going on in the entire film. But it's exactly, I, when Marcus just said what he said, when he said, you know, there's a string of really pretty pictures that are executed to perfection. That's what I felt like I was watching. Um, and, you know, I went back into my research and I, I did have a different appreciation for it. But when, when you really can't follow along, you can't really understand, you know, what the director's trying to say, it is a different experience. Mm-hmm. But it is a, a beautiful thing to look at. I mean, that movie's gorgeous. And that comes down to direction. You take somebody like Christopher Nolan, on the other hand, where every single one of his decisions is so intrinsically tied into his themes that you have a movie like Memento, which is oh, not totally... Oh, yeah. my God. Like, all, all of us just have... Of course, like, yeah. Marcus is the only one I know who says prestige is better. Oh, without and a I, doubt. But without a doubt. Without a doubt, of course. Not even close. Of course. Not even close. It's not even a thing, right? Um, but... <laughs> But it, but that's the kind of stuff that, 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 that good art should do. Man, you should argue with people. You should have heated discussions mm-hmm. about what this thing meant to you mm-hmm. and why it was so profound. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at it just from a technical perspective. That Memento was shown to psychologists and psychiatrists. And their whole thing was, if you want to know what it's like to have short-term memory loss... Aside from us trying to tell you what it is and you not understanding it, this is it. This piece of art is the closest representation to someone with not who someone with someone who does not have this disorder and how they would understand it. And it's like, man, and he tells a phenomenal story. Are you kidding me? Well, that's just that's the magical Christopher Nolan. But yeah. the 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 idea is that you're telling the story that's tied intrinsically into this experience, and no matter how good the story Thematic is, filmmaking. exactly thematically based filmmaking. No matter how good the story is. If the experience isn't intrinsically tied to that theme and that story, mm-hmm. it's just another series of very pretty pictures. But then you have a filmmaker like Nolan, where the prestige is another perfect example. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to get for me to get into the subject, but mm-hmm. the the movie, every single one of those decisions is so intrinsically tied into what the film is trying to say that it's almost impossible that it could be constructed so perfectly. The movie is about a magic trick told in the form of a magic trick. What, what's the, um, just kind of a curiosity of mine, what's the most recent movie for you that's made you either like, I have to talk about this movie now, in a good way, not like, mm-hmm. oh, this movie was crap and I have to bag Very, on it, but like, or Moonlight. M- cause you to sit there and just really contemplate Moonlight. it. Moonlight. I didn't see Moonlight in theaters. Uh, I was, I was unfortunately... How? Get out. I know. But, <laughs> Literally or watch it? Yeah, get out. I didn't see Get Out either, unfortunately. <laughs> but while I was traveling these last couple months, uh, you know, I have four or five hours flying back to back coast to coast where no one can bother me, which is great, which means I can sit there and just watch a movie instead of having to deal with phone calls and emails and stuff. And so people. I watched, and people, the worst. But since I, I caught up on, on a bunch of stuff, one of the things I caught up on was Moonlight. And right before it, I, I saw, uh, I was forced to watch La La Land again because it was on like, kind of the top screens that come down. <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of problems with that movie. Uh, on many many different levels mm-hmm. and it was great I actually I had a layover so I was on the phone uh, with my mom just killing time and complaining about how bad how much I, I didn't like La La Land again and I know she she feels the same and then I got back onto the plane to, to get to LA and 
they had we had individual screens instead of top down screen, and finally Moonlight was up, which mm-hmm. it, it, I'd been flying for like a month or two and still hadn't come up. This was like. Right. This is like April, maybe, or finally a comic, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Well, and had been playing the entire time on right. every screen everywhere. Right. Well, so, it won because it won best. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> so Moonlight finally came up. Trademark. <laughs> I had just been forced to watch La La Land, but I didn't watch it with sound, so I could just see, you know, without being uh, uh, wooed by the music and the mm-hmm. glamour of it, I could just kind of watch it technically and objectively and pick apart where it failed. And then I watched Moonlight. And Moonlight, from a technical perspective, has just as many problems, if not more, than, than La La Land mm-hmm. does. But as a story, it's so unbelievably beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's so expressive. And there's, for, for people who have seen Moonlight, there's a glaringly bad technical problem in the, I think it was like the second or third scene, um, the first time where Mahershala Ali meets uh, the, the little kid, uh, his name is escaping me now. Um, he opens the door to exit. And you get this really obvious reflection off the ND filter in the map box. Mm-hmm. And you can see this clear reflection, and you can even see the operator noticing it, correcting for it, and trying to save the shot. Oh. And f- for me, because of who I am, I never in a million years would have let that shot make it make it into air. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Barry Jenkins did, and that shot works so well. Like half of my brain was saying, "Hey, that's a really terrible mistake," and the other half of the brain was saying, "Shut the hell up! This is a great scene." <laughs> and like, I, it's been so long since I've been affected so emotionally by by a film like that. And the best part was, I was on you know, a plane listening with little, you know, iPhone iPhone headphones. Right. I wasn't even. In a proper he was actually experience. supposed to be removed from the plane, but because he was listening and watching the movie, he actually didn't get dragged off. Yes, yeah. I was on a United flight. Yeah. <laughs> this joke will be even more dated in August. <laughs> uh, what about you, Nicholas? What was the last one? Um, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, because we all have dads, or, you know, <laughs> I guess some of us are dads. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always come back to the greatest conversations I've ever had about any movies about uh, her mm-hmm. um, with Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, that that movie honestly is the first time I really understood what a successful film is, um, by the definition that we've talked about so many times, which is talking about the film. Um, it just so happened that I had just amazing things to say about it. Um, but that movie was it caught me so off guard. There are two films that I say are the greatest films I have ever seen, going in with the lowest expectations I've ever had. Mm-hmm. So one of them is her, and the other one is Kick-Ass. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh Kick-Ass, yeah. yeah. Best Nick Cage performance ever. I cry every time he is being burned alive and he's yelling at Hit Girl how to get out of this situation. I cry every single time. The first time I saw that movie, I started crying and I was like, Sorry, this- ladies. He's not single. <laughs> <laughs> I, and it, and it's, it's unbelievable. Someone, this is, this, is the, this is the excellence of a director. Knowing who your talent is, knowing the story you're going to tell, and being able to get the performance needed based on the talent that you have. And I'm not talking any mess on any actor, but you know your actor's specialties. You know your actor's weaknesses. And being able to cater towards Nick Cage's quirkiness mm-hmm. and somehow getting me to cry mm-hmm. because of it. Mm-hmm. That man's a good actor. He got into a lot of my problems. To me, that was the hardest part about watching that. was like, you're like, you're, that you, him through that whole movie is like, Dude. you kind of remember like, oh my God, he's actually, a, he's an he's Academy Award winning great actor. And yeah. then he's like, 
What happened? People, yeah. loop, people because he got into financial trouble, so we had to take yeah. some some movies that kind of some exploited movies. his um, his ability to get into character. Right. I think he also just is an actor who maybe really needs a strong director to yeah, reel him into one di- direction or another. Uh, any any very outgoing actor need needs that strong director. But I'm glad we always become a character. I'm glad you guys love that movie so much because oh, it's great. Because yeah. I'm the same way. I went in with very low. I saw that in DVD. I I had no interest in seeing that in theaters. I was like, this is going to be stupid. No. I was like, this is going to be one of those movies I read reviews about and whatever. I didn't even read reviews about it because I would have gone and seen it. Right. And and I remember I watched it at home. And I, I got I to gotta say, I only really get emotional around people. I, I rarely get emotional by myself mm-hmm. because I feed off of energy of other people. So in a movie theater, I will laugh when I'm supposed to laugh. Mm-hmm. I will cry when I'm supposed to cry. And I will get angry when I'm supposed to get angry because I feed off of that energy. I like right. I like having the director put me through the emotional roller coaster they intended. Mm-hmm. And it is intended mm-hmm. with an audience. Mm-hmm. That's why they make it like this. And I was by myself, not by myself, I was with my stepsisters at the time, and might as well have been by myself because I'm sitting at home on the couch. There's not a lot of people. We were, we're like joking throughout the movie, and then like I'm like, you guys need to stop talking because this is amazing. <laughs> and and it just continues and continues. And it was so beautiful because I go into film, I go into movies so often with these expectations, and I'm waiting for them to be met, and they aren't. Mm-hmm. And uh, when that happens, I really savor it because I don't know the next time it's going to happen again. Because I am a sucker for marketing. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for watching every trailer, looking at every new behind-the-scenes photo released. I, I am a sucker for that, and I know that's like one of my biggest handicaps as as a. I guess as a critic, as a film, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I was so blessed, honestly, and I use that word mm-hmm. and I mean it, to have the experience with her mm-hmm. and to have the experience with Kick-Ass because that is why I want to make movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is I want people to be able to go in there, come out and be like, I, I knew what he was doing. I felt it. I was there with him the entire time. Mm-hmm. And that those are such perfect examples. How many, Michael? Uh, there's two movies uh, that I've seen very recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one this past weekend was Get Out mm-hmm. uh, by Jordan Peele. Still haven't seen it. No, 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 no. no. I, I won't give any spoilers, yeah. but I will just say I have a certain expectation of mm-hmm. Jordan Peele and the content that he's mm-hmm. created in the past. And I was just so no, I was just so surprised I've, I've in the, in the best way possible I've and just nothing but amazing things and one because a lot of people would tell me like oh it's a racist movie isn't it and this is people who haven't seen the movie stupid people are stupid stupid people are stupid this and, is, remember I told you that last episode he's got that thing it's, yeah it's, it's my it's but my no and, and said it's a movie that talks about racism absolutely but that what he was able to do with that movie I thought was incredible but then also a movie that just keeps coming up into my mind with all of its different personalities is M. Night Shyamalan's recent Split. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Have you seen it? Okay. I thought it was half of a movie, but, and I, and I mean this so intensely, it may have been the single greatest acting performance I have ever seen in my entire life. Absolutely. It was, you, you couldn't have told me what, I, it was just, it was, un, it was, it was stupefying. I was literally watching that movie surprised every mm-hmm. single moment. Mm-hmm. The movie felt like half a film and I think it's because he is 
I think the band back together. We know why. Putting the band back together. <laughs> but holy <laughs> crap, if you haven't seen that movie mm-hmm. and you want to see the greatest acting performance of all time, I'm a Batman fan. I think Heath Ledger is God. Mm-hmm. But Jesus, this is something else. Yeah, James McAvoy is just scary. And he won't get any award season recognition and it kills me. Yeah, it kills me because it's the movie, it's the release date, it's that. Mm-hmm. But oh my God, you owe it to yourself. It is the greatest acting performance I have ever seen. And the thing is, I went into it mm-hmm. not thinking that it's, you know, there's any connections yeah. outside well, of this film. Well, yeah. And because it was also... You didn't think there was a twist coming? <laughs> well, surprisingly, <laughs> I knew it was a twist was coming. The twist was there is this another twist, and the twist is it's tied into another movie. Yeah. yeah. But that's a twist no one's on coming. But it's a movie that there are many flaws of course. throughout the film. There's there's many moments that it feels clunky. Yeah. There's certain character choices at times that... But it was never not interesting. But it was never not interesting. Yeah. And the thing is, is, I think in the previous episode, you guys talked about failing. Mm-hmm. And how that for me was like certain moments in that movie didn't work, but yeah. I'm so glad that those choices were still made and that this movie exists. I was li- this was probably one of the first movies in a long time that I was li- I mean, and I mean this literally. I, I just did this. Yeah, I, I was you. literally <laughs> sitting on the edge of my seat yeah. at the end of that film. And again, there are flaws, and there, but like you said, like the acting and the way it's set up and the way it just keeps gro- going is I was on the edge of my couch and I don't do that for, usually I'm sitting back really taking it sure. but I was like what, what is going to happen next I was disappointed with some of the choices and stuff like that but like we all are going to have those things there's going to be those nuances of but, opinion. You, but it is 100% a film I think if you call yourself a fan mm-hmm. of, of this art form then, you yeah. need Please watch to it. see it and um M. Night Shyamalan tweeted, uh, tweeted earlier today it. talking about how he just completed the next draft of I saw that. his following yeah. Yeah, um, his follow up his follow up to Split and I just I retweeted it M. Night if you're hearing me baby I love it no but just <laughs> talking about how if you need to recast James Michael's <laughs> <Yeah>. available <laughs> but he will shave his head in 13 personalities <laughs> I will just say without going out so much into spoilers the, fir- the movie that precedes Split was one of the first movies that I as a teenager saw that made me want to... Because I had always known I wanted to act, but what made me want to get into film... Wait, real, real quick, I'm not, I'm not a fan of vague talking. Yes. This We're is a spoiler about... alert. If you don't want to know any connection with Split with anything spoiler else... Spoiler 5. 4. But don't, don't listen. <laughs> yeah. Turn it off for like 10 minutes, 5 minutes. You can always skim two minutes. Two, two minutes. Two minutes. Don't actually turn it so, off, just listen. <laughs> it's about to be spoiled. Yeah. Just letting you know. So, talking about Unbreakable. Yes. Unbreakable was a movie that I saw as a teenager that... <laughs> Flipping over the table. We all just we all just mimed. Yes. We flipped the table. Yes. Um, it was one of the movies that made me really want to get into filmmaking mm-hmm. of being behind the camera or creating the story. And I, Kel, um, our sound editor uh, for the Hollywood Hustle podcast, him and I, we saw Unbreakable and we immediately started working on an idea of a script inspired by Unbreakable using the soundtrack to the movie because the soundtrack is amazing. But it was one of those movies that just made me wake up and think, oh... I could actually get interested in this. Mm-hmm. It's such a unique superhero idea, but it's not a superhero film in many respects. What's the analysis of superheroes in general and how they're created? So it's like this 
weird origin, but also this examination of an origin yeah. story. And what's even more interesting is that's a film you would expect to start kind of being developed right now mm-hmm. after we've seen all these superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, someone trying to do a fresh That's why Chronicle is so, so important. But as I say, that Chronicle and Hancock all happened before we got to all we'll, we'll really good films. Yeah. But the thing is, uh, X-Men happened. What are you going to say? Hancock. Well, because I think, when did Unbreakable happen? Was that prior to X-Men? Wait. Oh, it was like oh, 90s. Yeah. That was yeah. like 99. It was his film after Six Sense. Yeah. Exactly. So was it, was a it, it came out long before the new superhero craze happened. And yet, he was able to have IMDb open. 2000. 2000. So that about the same year then as X Men came out. 2001 was X Men. Yeah. Spider Man one too. That was 2001, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm, they had to take the two out. But then to then th- think back with Split and not knowing that it was a setup mm-hmm. for being a sequel to Unbreakable. Oh, they came out and, the same year. And that the entire story is almost like a setup for a villain. Mm-hmm. I think was just a wonderful idea. And then Shyamalan reveals that the initial draft of Unbreakable was all three. Mr. Glass, um, uh, Bruce Willis's character, and James McAvoy's character. David Dunn. David Dunn, uh, all being in this one movie together, mm-hmm. and that he had to cut off. Um, That's why I felt like half the film. The, the herd. That's what I was going to say. It feels yeah. like an epilogue at the end of a book mm-hmm. that's kind of like an alternate story mm-hmm. that somehow ties a little bit to the original story that's mm-hmm. how to me it felt like, yeah. when you said that I was like I told, it's like the asterisk mm-hmm. I, and like, I've seen that movie now three or four times since I saw it in theaters and there's that one scene where he visits the subway mm-hmm. to lay down a bouquet of flowers and I, I want to say that's the link really right there of like maybe his parents were on the train that David Dunn was on was on because his ultimate transformation he goes is to the subway which is where David Dunn's power is revealed in Unbreakable I, I see uh, I feel like wiping from, off my I, I knew the ending somebody had spoiled it for me it was one of those where it's the same thing I've had Sixth Sense and uh, I had Sixth Sense always spoiled for me yeah, because yeah. The, the line the yeah. well I told him I haven't seen it please don't spoil it oh we won't spoil it and they went right on and spoiled the it next thing I was they like, said you son of a gun um, <laughs> like, here's the scene yeah here's the scene right here we'll, we'll play it. just that one part um, but and so when I watched I watched it uh, at, at home and uh, everybody was, had gone to bed and so I was watching it and I was like man I wish somebody hadn't spoiled that for me because oh, yeah. I love that movie that's yeah. also that's, that's one of the things that me and Michael like, bonded over when we first met was Unbreakable and <coughs> if I wish that hadn't been, it was still awesome but I was like I can't oh, even imagine I'm, how I'm excited kinda, I would have been if I would have saw it without knowing I'm kind of picky though about twist movies where Get Marcus is kind of picky in general better, well, yeah. but if the <laughs> we movie, know if, if the movie isn't better after knowing the twist mm-hmm. The twist is a is a BS twist. I, so I, like I, yeah. the first time I saw uh, Usual Suspects, I was like, oh my god, this yeah, is. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I know. The first time I saw. I will not let you spoil that. First time I saw Usual Suspects, I was like, this is a great, great, I great, great film. I knew before. Yeah, and then rewatching it again, knowing the twist, the movie is just empty. It's an hour and a half that to get to that last five minute scene, and it's see for me though with Split. You don't need the diner scene in many respects. That that's the one scene in the movie that really feels just tacked on. Like all I needed was that last shot with him talking to the mirrors mm-hmm. and just hearing that faint music. See, this is something that I wouldn't have picked out. Michael does a lot. I'm not a big score person. I, I wouldn't be able to tell. I, I immediately knew the moment I heard the motif mm-hmm. from Unbreakable, his theme. Yeah. And I knew that 
Nice. This is the universe we're in. Because we're in the movie theater, and I just start squirming in my seat with excitement, and Karen just looks at me thinking I'm having a heart attack or something. But <laughs> And then she starts crying uncontrollably. <laughs> that is what happened. <laughs> and she broke up with him immediately. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the crying was before you guys broke up? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's why they broke up. Exactly. Um, I'd say for, for me, the last movie that I had, I've, I, I, I kind of bring it up because there are two sides of it. The one that like I want to talk about it, and the one where it's like, I don't know if I can talk about this yet, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that side of me, um, the last one that did that to me was uh, 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 Twelve Years a Slave. Now I, I know there's get ready, Marcus. No, 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 no. There's, there's definitely issues with that film. I have, I definitely have issues, but there's certain parts in it that like we're and there's some. And that was more just the, the idea of the story yeah. and stuff like that. Um, if you don't emotionally connect or react to that movie, mm-hmm. you're dead inside. Yeah. But it is still very, very fun. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I totally I accept that. Um, the last one that I wanted to talk about, but it couldn't because no one was uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, but for totally different reasons, uh, being a father, it's again, it's just completely, you know, definitely thinking about your Man, when I saw sure. When I saw the track list and I saw mm-hmm. that Cat Stevens uh, <laughs> was there, I was like, all right, yeah. we're, we're in for a ride here. Because you know, James. Gun is is just in in the superhero universe. Mm-hmm. There may not be a better storyteller right oh, now. No, absolutely, mm-hmm. right now. Um, I mean, you. I wouldn't even put Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy in the superhero universe. It was just so grounded. Yeah. Um, but like in the superhero universe we know today, James Gunn just you know, he, he does it. Um, but that I think that for me was a big one that spoke to oh, me. Oh, one hundred percent. You're dead inside. I wanted to talk to somebody about it and really just like. Uh, the feelings. I like, mean, what you know, dad doesn't want to pass some ball of energy to his son? You know, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That that was pretty funny. How it slowly everybody down everybody down. laughed at yeah, yeah, yeah. they, they, that joke hit. Yeah, really absolutely. Um, one thing I do want to because bringing up the idea of how people perceive things. We talked about people that don't read or know anything about the film and judge it. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that film racist and things like that? It's thirteen reasons why. Um, a very controversial, quote unquote, for some reason. Uh, show that has this is the show Netflix. that's streaming on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. About teenage um, suicide. If you, yeah, if you don't know, yeah, it's about teenage suicide. This girl commits suicide, leaves thirteen tapes. Each tape represents someone she feels has wronged her um, in her life uh, that led to her committing suicide. Um, before I watched it, there was a lot of like it glorifies suicide. Uh, people, it, it misunderstands suicide. It mis- you know a lot of negative social con- uh, uh, comments and critiques on it. Mm-hmm. And so I watched it with an open mind and just really wanted to see kind of what the hoopla was, expecting, oh my God, what is this show? You know, because there is that idea of over-thematically and over-dramatizing something. And I watched it and I never saw any sort of um, uh, uh, fantasizing of suicide. So I, I'm going to ask you a question yes. because I haven't seen it yet, but I've got very strong opinions on suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't had uh, been able to have a conversation with somebody about it yet because I, I want to choose if I'm going to watch it or not, but mm-hmm. I don't want to trust critics. I want right. to talk to a friend who's absolutely. seen it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to call someone else real quick. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Can you just put it on hold? Yeah. Can we Skype yeah. someone in real quick? Fuck a friend. <laughs> um, do they put the fault on her death on the other people? They they do both. It goes both ways. But they, they do give some credence to that her suicide is at some point somebody else's fault. They put it, they give, they, they, they that's what I think uh, people misunderstand. It actually adds that kind of controversy into it. 
of who do you blame or who do you Yourself. put the fault on? Do you put the fault on her? Do you put the fault on yourself? And, the, and that's on, and that's kind of at the very end of the. the I don't. I try not to because I mean some people don't watch it. I don't want to. Is it valid? Is it is it is it validated? Do they give it real time for that to be an actual option that somebody else is responsible for somebody else killing themselves? Yes, I think they do personally, but I, 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 I don't know if you. you I strongly would. disagree with that because um, I mean I, I've got. Wait, which which with what the, that it's their fault that it's somebody else's fault, fault okay, okay, gotcha, yeah. because um, yeah I've got my reasons depression is a very real thing mm-hmm. right now especially in the climate because I have a lot of problems with you know PC culture and things like mm-hmm. that because I welcome controversy but I think that the good thing that's come of this is mm-hmm. the um, the open dialogue for depression right. and mental disorders. Well, one of the things this does really well is show different forms of bullying, of course, and and and, and uh, violence mm-hmm. in, in different ways. Um, but I do thinking about it even more now, going through it, it does really put it on both sides. It really does because you you it, I think it lets you choose. Now I don't think it's vocalized. It doesn't. It doesn't lean one way. I it, it goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's how you watch it. I it's really who. I don't which, think I'm. What, I, don't, I don't think anybody in the right mind says that you uh, that, that bullying is okay right. or this that and the other. I am certainly not advocating mm-hmm. for that. Um, I am advocating, however, for getting help. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that as soon as you say somebody else dictates your choice to kill yourself, mm-hmm. I think you eliminate the possibility mm-hmm. for help. But and I think that's where for that show it does a good job where it is up to you to decide on which side you do lean on. Do you look at it as it was their fault? Or do you look at it as she never made a real choice? She made her, she made the choice. She, and even did she end, seek help? She, she did. She did. She did. But even then, um, at the, okay, spoiler alert. I'm not, I'm not, do you I'm care, Marcus? I actually do kind of care because it's a show. Okay. That, uh, I, mean, I promise it really doesn't give okay. anything away. So it really it follows this one character, Clay, right. who is listening to. He's gotten the tapes. The tapes are passed around. He's the vehicle. Yeah, well, watching. Yeah, the tapes are passed around to everyone on the tapes. Each yeah. tape is a character. Yes. And they've all, he's like number twelve or no, he's eleven. So all the other people except for like two have listened to these tapes, which causes a whole another thing. Um, I promise this doesn't spoil. Um, there's a counselor that it deals with a lot of the school uh, democracy and, 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 and uh, uh, policies and things like that but there's a school counselor that the Clay goes to after hearing that in the, her final moments she, the character that committed suicide came to him and he didn't help her and he's like I, I did try to help her she didn't you're seeing it this way I see it as someone who didn't want help Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been a firm believer that anybody who calls a suicide hotline is not really suicidal. Mm-hmm. I think the people who are suicidal do it. Right. I think that what they are asking for, though, not saying that they don't have suicidal thoughts, right. but they're asking for help by calling a suicide right, right, hotline right, right. or telling their friend they're suicidal mm-hmm. because people who find their friends who have overdosed or they can stop them from hanging themselves or this and the other, they don't talk about it. They just do it because they want to get it over. Well, with. she brings her recorder to the session with him session to, uh, to, with the, the counselor oh. to record it before because she's already decided this is like to her her last stay of execution in a lot of ways 
and he says like and Clay kind of through the whole series blames himself for her death and but again but again it's not it's not the show saying he is he is responsible it's the character putting it on himself, which happens. Well, I, in, you know, I think, and the effects. So people ask, "What could I have done? Did I do?" I, you know, I think like to, to bring it back more yes. generally, because yes. mm-hmm. it is why is, film, deep, yeah. why is film important? This is exactly mm. the reason why. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree or disagree with the statement of the show, the way they put it together, the point mm. is you're talking about depression and suicide. Yes, absolutely. Which is the whole point of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's where it comes down yeah. to. So whether. You know, they could have been the most insensitive version of the show possible, mm. but we're all still talking about it. Some no, some good has come from it. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I don't think that they are insensitive at all. But I'm yeah, yeah. But I, you know, again, I do think that it is it is so important for people to accept responsibility for how they feel, mm. because I, I I blame people and I have my whole life for how I felt, um, <laughs> and I, I needed help. Mm-hmm. And because it was how I was, I was reacting to that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a big, and you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people interpret things differently. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, they interpret things <laughs> yeah. differently. But for this particular topic, maybe someone does seek help because they feel like they can't control their lives because other people are influencing mm-hmm. it. And you know, my interpretation is my interpretation, and you know, however you seek help is how you seek help. Yeah. I think it is healthy though for people to accept responsibility for how they feel. Like, I mean, they make jokes about it all, all the time. The answer to cyberbullying is turning off your phone and your computer. Mm-hmm. Well, these again come back to responsibility. Responsibility of the filmmakers. It's our it's our responsibility to create a uh, an environment, or, or at least an artistic environment that. Uh, supports these more positive kind of ideals you know that it's okay you know you're not less of a man because you ask for help you know I think think in some ways that has to be selfless and not selfish because that can change I think a lot how you read let's talk about LA Michael (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) well so we're in Los Angeles it's you know where obviously the film industry is based Mm -hmm. but it's not the exactly where everything is being made Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Marcus you've been going all around the country the past couple of years you know whether it's for specific contracts or anything like that but we all now know that with technology and everything producing uh, media is more accessible absolutely so why is film still based in LA why is the industry still based here and uh, let's go from there talking about the pros and cons of, of LA and yeah well the, the first so when you say the industry is based here what industry are you talking about uh, I would be talking about the entertainment industry, film, television. I, I think that could be better uh, uh, focused on as theatrical worldwide distribution. Mm. That level of filmmaking is here. Mm. Uh, once we hit the digital revolution, especially once we hit the uh, the large format sensors in every camera everywhere, where for a couple thousand dollars you can have better di- better image quality than filmmakers have ever had in history. Mm. Once we hit to that point. Uh, you saw a massive, massive shift both in uh, who needed content and who was making it and where it was being made. Still, theatrical major films are based around Los Angeles because that's where all the businesses are. That's where talent agencies are, studios, and most of the stars live here. Mm. But that, by just pure numbers, is so unbelievably dwarfed by broadcast, by uh, local marketing for businesses, Mm -hmm by like factors of ten hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. So yes, the the prestigious side of film still sits in Los Angeles, 
but you can throw a rock in pretty much any town these days and hit somebody who's shooting some corporate thing for someone. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think really more of narrative um, type structure. And, there, yeah. now, I mean, obviously, you know, Walking Dead films in Georgia, mm-hmm. uh, Lost filmed in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously it's filmed all over the place. Breaking Bad yeah. in Arizona. But this is still the headquarters yeah. in a lot of ways. All, all the businesses headquartered here. Yeah. A lot of the uh, global production, or specifically American production, the global mm-hmm. production as well, uh, is based on tax credits uh, for people who don't know. Uh, in a state like Georgia, you can get up to I think it's like thirty percent back on most, if not all, your production costs, mm-hmm. which on a hundred million dollar future is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Um, so, they uh, probably about a decade or two ago, producers, especially big studios, started realizing that the cost of sending major talent to other places and setting up productions in other places, uh, those costs are absolutely being recovered by the tax credits they're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto and Vancouver were some of the first big cities to do it. Um, Most CW shows are filmed in Vancouver. Yeah. And the main advantage areas. of Vancouver, besides uh, all the tax credits and the Canadian labor laws, is uh, the fact it's also on the West Coast. So people, you don't have to deal with different time zones. Your studio execs still get up at the same time. And instead of driving down to the set for dailies, they're on a phone call or on a Skype call. You know, mm-hmm. And millions and millions and millions of dollars are being saved. You, you will see... Um, we're already seeing the kind of reflex back. Uh, definitely things spread out. It got spread a little too thin and things are kind of constricting back in LA. Uh, Netflix is a big pusher of that. They just invested, save somewhere in the end of like $100 million mm-hmm. into infrastructure in Los Angeles and have committed to shooting uh, all of their productions in LA because according to them, uh, it's an investment in quality. Because mm-hmm. to, to them, have shooting in Los Angeles. Where, Does that include House of Cards? Because I know that show that shoots in Maryland, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't th- show like House of Cards is mm-hmm. so specifically tied to locations. Mm-hmm. That's type of thing. When I think oh. they're but talking, Veep is moving back. Are you yeah. talking about new content? Uh, definitely new content, but specifically things that are shot in studios. Mm-hmm. They're not going to mm-hmm. shoot, you know, a cooking show in Georgia yeah. just for tax credits. They right. shoot it in LA. You know that type gotcha. of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what do you guys feel? I mean, you guys have worked in LA filming things and things like that. What are what are some of the pros and cons of having to deal with the LA? Film, film infrastructure and the laws and the rules. Well, people who follow the rules would probably say uh, permits. Mm-hmm. Permits, permits, permits. People who follow the rules would say yeah. <laughs> permits and the things that come with you permits. You guys have never filmed without a permit, right? Never in a million years. Never. One of the problems with permits is not just the logistics of dealing with the, the state or the city, depending where you are, <coughs> but also you have to pay for uh, on set medic, uh, police officers, fire marshals, those type of deals. Those people usually end up getting paid better than some crew members to just hang around and eat all your food on set. That's an unfortunate uh, kind of thing you have to you have to deal with. But the counterside to that is, if you're on set and your camera breaks, there's five other cameras within a block radius of you for you to replace your. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, everyone's here. You can always replace or find or add, but you have to play by the rules. So mm-hmm. as a result, absolutely. Uh, what do you feel like the hardships of I guess collaborating? in LA would be having to collaborate and find those people to help you out honestly the hardest part is when the person you're collaborating lives on the other side of Los Angeles <laughs> physical distance sometimes yeah. gets in the way I mean when, when we were working together earlier mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago however long it was uh, your place in Venice was mm-hmm. only like 12 miles from my house mm-hmm. but Friday morning meetings was still like an hour and a half drive right yeah. right right yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds silly to say but that is honestly one of the more difficult parts of, of doing it it's just because mm-hmm. you can do things over the phone you can do things over Skype but especially with creative stuff nothing beats sitting down face to face and just letting your energy energy go you know? yeah and that's when you can get real reads of people exactly um, just going back to uh, talking about LA real quick and one of the pros I feel like of 
working in LA is obviously the amount of sheer talent Absolutely. that's in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Atlanta and everything, it's, it is growing, but there's just so many artists in this town where, you know, actors, we're dispensable <laughs> because there's just thousands of people who are ready and willing to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so if s- something happens, if someone gets sick or injured or something doesn't work out, you can just switch it. On my on, on our second feature, uh, we were supposed to have, I'm not going to say names, we were supposed to have an actor uh, who does a lot of these indie stuff, uh, play the lead. Um, about 36 hours before we started production, the actor, uh, while on some substances most likely, uh, called our executive producer, got in a huge fight with him saying, you guys aren't paying me enough, I'm supposed to do this other thing, blah, blah. So we dropped out of the movie about 36 hours before production. The director called one of his friends who was an actor, sent him the script, you know, 35 hours later, he's on set, and he did great. You know, yeah. he played the in the future. And he yeah. just wasn't a name. He just, unfortunately, it wasn't a name, but we had other people we could sell the movie on, but if we were in Montana, we probably would not have been able to get an actor of that quality or that caliber. That so and I'm sure it's the same on the other side, right, in terms of production. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, have you guys ever had an experience where, you know, a crew member all of a sudden had to drop out for any reason? Yeah, and Mark has made movies by himself. <laughs> I mean, like, I, you should, I, I, crew, aside crew, the crew we had was always phenomenal. But from a logistical standpoint, he wore 27 hats mm-hmm. at, at any given point. Uh, unfortunately, I was privileged enough to have a, a, a day job, um, and because you know I, I had to make money, and these unfortunately these films weren't paying us, so we both had to sacrifice on different sides of the on different sides of the spectrum. Marcus had to sacrifice a lot of happiness being on on set and working in production. I had to sacrifice not getting better at my craft and you know pushing paper, mm-hmm. um, and you know we've definitely had an understanding you know we come back and we look at each other like your day sucked yeah your day sucked yeah <laughs> and it's it's different reasons but it's but around the same thing and uh yeah that it's uh it's a, tip, it's a difficult process at this stage uh it reminds me of uh speaking about unbreakable earlier there's that great line where uh samuel L. jackson's talking to bruce willis's character and talking about i think i know that feeling that you speak of that feeling of sadness maybe it's because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty much it yeah <laughs> and that just touches on sometimes i i think we all in la whether you're actor or production uh company you, you get that feeling mm-hmm. of man didn't get to do what i was i'm here to do haven't done it yet haven't done it yet yeah I think also, kind of going off that, a con of there being so much talent is that there's so much talent. There's a flood of people, and you have to shift through the crap to be as you know honest as possible to get to find the good ones. And sometimes it's really hard to find. But I think there are so the many good, good ones. ones. I, I mean, I, uh, I I have very unpopular opinions that I don't think acting is that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the difficulty in acting is being comfortable, one, in front of a camera, two, in front of a group of people, and three, honestly, just being able to, like, just be a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people who aren't good actors, I think, are in their head too much. I think it's, uh, it's people who I just plain don't want to be in front of the camera. Um, honestly, it's... Uh, Marcus, you know, Marcus, 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 Marcus is raising his hand every time. Every time. time. <laughs> but it's... And I really... It's an unpopular opinion because I don't want to take away from the talent that a good actor has. A good actor, um, actresses included, you know, I just say actor to... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, they really are just 
good at being comfortable. Um, you know, learning an accent or this, that, and the other, but we're talking like indie film grit in Los Angeles. I, I've been to, there's another unpopular opinion, acting classes. And um, I, I think uh, it's nice to, to stay up to date on your ability to be comfortable in front of other people. Um, if you're asking me if there is a huge benefit to being in an acting class from a talent perspective, are you being given crazy good insight? Um, you, you can be the judge of that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is something to be said for sharpening your blade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think an actor's blade being sharpened is then constantly being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, it is, it is terrifying. To, I, I, I had my first acting class and I was, I wore my baseball hat, I just come from like a, like a workout. And I was just such an idiot. I, I, I thought I was gonna be the sh- you know the the bees the knees hot stuff. yeah, and like I remember I got in front of everybody. I couldn't read my lines. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. That's so difficult, and I'm not taking that away from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just comes back to the over saturation of talent in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, is because unfortunately as long as you don't give a crap what people think about you you can probably act Mm -hmm. what it comes down to and I think that I'm gonna have a lot of uh, pessimists agree with me is it's not really about your talent is it Mm -hmm. it's it's some it's oftentimes being really good at the business being a really good business unfortunately I think it's worse than that I think it can you sell the movie Mm. that's that's a whole separate I think I think that is I think that's one of the biggest Downfalls to to the legitimacy of acting as a craft mm-hmm. is I don't think the best actors work. Mm-hmm. It's the ones with the biggest social well, media problems. They don't, they don't work on you know if your movie needs to make a hundred million dollars in theatrical box office, then your lead actor is going to be in that class. If you're making basically any other type of movie, you can find and support a great actor without a name. How many times have you gone to an audition and seen 40 other people and you're just like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, g- g- giving a throwback to one of our previous interviews with Kurt Mega, we had a great discussion. Uh, he had starred on Glee. Uh, he produces his own works and everything now. Um, but when he was on Glee, he was one of the warblers, you know, one of the more featured uh, background stories, I guess you could say. I actually watched Glee, so... Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. oh well, then you probably the have seen yeah. Kurt then many yeah. times, but he's, he would say there's a, this great... There's this awful stigma in Los Angeles of how people will just look at background talent and just dismiss them mm-hmm. immediately of, oh, you're just background. You're moving props. Moving props. When, in his perspective, like, he was working with some of the best actors in town, people who've gone on to be Broadway stars, who have... Oh, the talent on that show is unbelievable. You know, and, but you would never know if you just look at him as warbler number one. As Nick the Warbler. Well, it's the same thing with that Kubrick assistant thing I was talking about before. His mm-hmm. title was director's assistant. Oh, that's just the guy who gets him coffee, right? Mm-hmm. No. He was the person who made Stanley Kubrick's career possible. Mm-hmm. There, there's a huge difference mm-hmm. between the title and the responsibilities you have mm-hmm. in that job and what you... What you care about in that in that job, you know? mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think I think one of kind of I think that one of the pros of LA is the ability to continually meet people to make yourself. Oh God, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, you ta- you guys talked in the last episode a lot about being in the room with people smarter than you, and that there's so much opportunity as long as you take it and and are willing to ask. Absolutely. Like you know, and to go outside of that though is also that. 
this town is just filled with so many people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So as storytellers, the the perspective that that can give you is that working with people who come from all different uh, sorts of lives That's and everything. We didn't talk about in the last episode, but before you can be a storyteller, you have to be a person. You have to have things going on in your head and experiences to pull the same as the acting that that I was just touching on. It's one hundred percent. I don't think you know. You have people who who are method actors, and you can you can have a very interesting conversation with people who are on both sides of that fence on whether that's necessary or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think all acting comes from obviously is that comfortability to be a doofus or whatever it is in front of other people and just be vulnerable, mm-hmm. but. You've cried before in your life. You've laughed before in your life. You've had these feelings. Mm-hmm. It's can you just be authentic? Mm-hmm. And because I, acting is channeling all emotions that you've had before mm-hmm. and finding a way to make it authentic to that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously there is a lot of talent there. Um, that's something, the ability to do something that. that I really notice. As a cinematographer, I never will tell a director, hey, that was a bad line reading or anything like that. But absolutely, when, they, when an actor walks on a camera for the first time when we're doing screen tests... I'll one look through the viewfinder and I'll whisper in the director's ear, no, just their shoulders. You can just see it in their shoulders. They're tight. They're not comfortable. Mm-hmm. And look, especially looking through a, a viewfinder when you, the world is so blocked out and you're just looking at this one mm-hmm. one little thing and I, you sit there and you just, see, I just walk across the screen. I walk towards the screen. You're an actor or you're not an actor. I can tell the ability story, to know. be comfortable on camera, I think, is the biggest thing. And I mentioned that a few times. Mm-hmm. You just touched on it from the technical perspective. This yeah. is just... Because I definitely look at things from a more emotional perspective um, than Marcus does. He's much more analytical. If you haven't heard by now, he's quite <laughs> intelligent when it comes to that stuff. But it's so true. We, we both touch on essentially the same thing from a different perspective. It's can you be on camera and be comfortable? And I can say, I don't know if you can feel, you know, genuinely on mm-hmm. camera and he can say I don't know if you can just be a person on camera mm-hmm. technically like yeah. if, I, if I can look at your shoulders and I can see that you know you're on a film set mm-hmm. I'm not going to believe a single thing you say for the rest of the movie mm-hmm. and that's so often why a lot of actors who whose background is in theater need to work on yeah, going to sorry. acting class for acting for film mm-hmm. because it's very very different it's much smaller it's you know, so much it's the, the look of your eye you, you know, have so much less freedom versus, mm-hmm. versus these big movements yeah. well, it, well and it's also with theater it's about pushing out whereas with film it's so much about keeping it all in exactly in a way letting well, it letting it brim subtlety is what sells on camera yeah and not subtlety is what sells in the theater exactly mm-hmm. and, and shot size is so important you know if, if I'm on a close and you give me the same performance as when I was on a, a wide mm-hmm. it's going to feel very wrong on one of them you, know? mm-hmm. you mean you, you couldn't have Heath Ledger do what he did on stage you would not understand how brilliant that performance was from 15 rows back mm-hmm. you would mm-hmm. not to say that he couldn't put on a stage performance it would just yeah. necessar- necessarily right. have to have been a different performance 100% oh my god stage performance of that Joker so right now we're talking a lot about movies and stuff like that so we I just yeah. I real quick want to maybe go around let's hear okay. so your favorite movie movie that you don't care for and then one that you love despite its flaws. let's start with Nicholas since he was um, A Night's Tale by far is my favorite film um, I will flung you yes Alan Tudyk by the way super nice guy very nice. Good. Super nice guy. Um, Get him on the podcast, Daniel. <laughs> there we go. I'll see if he's still eating at Truxton's. <laughs> My favorite favorite movie of all time, by far, is A Night's Tale. Best movie I've ever seen, um, in my opinion. I would probably have to go either Dark Knight, um, Memento, 
and I'm gonna throw Breaking Bad in there. You can hate me if you want, but <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, it, it, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's um, it's the, a film in pieces. It really it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the, Sixty movies. To put yeah, together, yeah, yeah. Like that. The worst movie I've ever seen is The Adventures of Pluto Nash. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me you listen to How Did This Get Made? Did you listen to that podcast? Mm-hmm. Wait, I don't know if you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I hope you listen to this one. Um, Never listen to podcasts. I, but how did this get made? They have an episode on. It. They were they basically talk about like bad movies and they watch them and joke about them. Please listen to the Blue Nash. I, I swear to God, I was young when that happened. I, I don't really know exactly. We can IMDb that later. But I I was young and I looked at my mom and I am a child and I said this is very bad <laughs> this is terrible I want to leave well I, 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 they may not have it because they just went to a pay thing so it may not be out yet but they because now they alternate their episodes they release but definitely check out how these can make because it's, it's so good anyways and worst film you love despite its flaws okay that, that maybe other people don't like but you love Hmm. Or a movie that people are always like, really? You Guil- like that? Guilty movie? pleasure? Yeah, yeah guilty yeah, pleasure. Yeah, it's what, yeah, it's not. Can, we, can, we, can we come back to me? Because I have to yeah. think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Definitely. Uh, How about you, Michael? Why don't you go? We'll go all right, so three. favorite film comes with a tie Hook. Well, he gave like four of yeah. in a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go with. No, my favorite was by far just a night's tale. Oh, okay. The other ones were honorary mentions. Honorary mentions. But definitely Hook. Uh, that was a movie that really unlocked my imagination and introduced me to Robin Williams, who would have a profound impact on my life. But then I'd also say Lord of the Rings uh, as my favorite film in just terms of... What, the Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, or... I think it's fair to combine all those into one. one story. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, would I do think that Return of the King is the better of the three. Oh, absolutely. Oh, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. But the Helm's Deep battle is the best part. Oh, oh, yes. I love Two Towers. No, but then yeah. the battle is the best battle I, in I cinema too. history. Oh, it, the first half of Two Towers doesn't even match the first half of Return of the King. And it's one of the best second halves. Are it's one of the best middle movies in terms of a trilogy that I've ever seen. Because that is such an Empire Dark Knight, oh, Dark Empire Knight, Strikes yeah. Back, and Two Towers. So yeah. Right. But yeah, just in terms of being young and seeing. That was my Star Wars mm-hmm. moment, I yeah, think. Of course. I think that's our generation's Star Wars. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I yeah, would say worst film I've ever seen in theaters of recent date is definitely Suicide Squad. Ooh, you thought it was that bad. I thought it was that bad. I, mm. there, were, there were not enough good things for me to warrant it as a movie that I love despite its flaws. There was just way too many flaws. Yeah, really? You thought it was that, see, I thought it was bad, but I was still entertained. I think... Because we saw that movie together, and... Yeah. That was just a movie. Every time I was like, no. No, you just <laughs> hardly can't. Margot Robbie's performance and Will Smith's performance weren't good enough for you to be like, you know what, I was still entertained. I laughed at moments. I mean, the, the, like, if she I, if always the, Harley Quinn, like the thing you always oh, wanted absolutely. to see. If I could have just had moments of their scenes together, that yeah. would have been far better than what I received yeah. in its culmination um, and then a movie I love despite its flaws Guilty Pleasure Guilty oh. Pleasure oh gosh um, Pluto Nash <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I, I'll, I'll just bring it up since I was talking about it earlier Split as one that I re- I don't think that's a, I, 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 that, yeah. that is well received yeah. well received okay yeah, yeah, then, yeah, then I might you might said Split like the day it came out before everyone realized yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true okay so maybe if you said bit. like the uh, not the not the not the visit the, the village the one with the trees oh the happening oh yeah the, the trees are killing trees. people poison ivy's wet dream oh gosh <laughs> um, no, if you said that, oh uh, I, uh, I, I just love it because uh, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger kindergarten cop oh 
Yeah. Right. But again, is that everybody loves that film, right? I would call it a guilty pleasure. Would you call it? Okay. Yeah. Very safely in the guilty I mean, pleasure. Okay. Okay. Within like the first okay. five minutes, like I'm the body pooper. Okay. Yeah, I guess it might. I, I love that film. I guess everybody loves that film. Yeah. I would not call that a film that's successfully made its way into the modern age. <laughs> <laughs> well, without without uh, humor. That, that was just the first one to come to the top of my head. I agree. I've, I recently saw it, and it is not that great. Yes. Yeah. Um, how about you, Marks? So easy, best film mm-hmm. ever made. Mm-hmm. Prestige, Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. 2006. I really want to watch that. I've been wanting to watch that thing oh, yes. for a while. It's, it's the not movie. Netflix. It's no, a, no, it's not Netflix. That's right. I was, Literally no excuses. I was trying to think if I owned it, but I can't remember if I did. You should buy it just because. I, I feel like I own a lot of, most of Christopher Nolan's stuff. You should own all of his stuff. I don't, yeah. But it's, it's Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Michael Caine, Scarlett Johansson, and David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla. Mm-hmm. And also... And Piper Parabo. Don't forget her, yeah. my biggest celebrity crush of all time. <laughs> but Andy Serkis, more importantly, playing yeah. a live action character, mm-hmm. which he never does, and he is fantastic in live action. Mm-hmm. He is so good. That's the best movie. If you, if you want just a masterclass on what modern specifically American which is kind of ironic because he's British but modern American commercial and commercial art film is it is the prestige from start to finish you could you could spend your entire life watching that movie and still continue to learn better things you know how to better yourself as a filmmaker from that without a doubt that's I couldn't recommend that enough and then of course Breaking Bad Mm. just Breaking Bad you have to Um, worst film um Everything else. It's definitely not the worst film ever made, but it is the film that I have the most hate towards currently. Uh, I mentioned already is La La Land. Um, Mm. Partly, actually in large part, because I also want to make films of of a musical nature and watching somebody take the formula that I know can work and exploit it instead of honor it Mm. is just kind of personally insulting to me. Mm -hmm. But that film had so many problems from a narrative perspective so many problems from a directorial perspective. Mm. I mean, the, the cinematography was fine. I, I disagreed, of course, with some of the decisions, but that, you know, that's a cinematography thing. Of, overall, of course, it was great. Same thing with production design, same thing with the music, and sound. The performances were very good, too. I'm not a huge Ryan Gosling fan, but performances were very good. Mm. But, the, you know, but the writing and directing were so unbelievably unintentional. Mm. You know, it was the word we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. You know, First of all, he ellipses past the climax of his movie, which is out of fair use. I'm not going to say what it was, but like, you build up, you build up, you build up. I'm, I'm very firmly believing, especially because of what he did with Whiplash. Exactly. I mean, that is the ultimate like climax hitting at yeah. full throttle. And I'm a very strong believer that you have to build up to the climax. You have to hit your climax stronger than any other beat in your movie, and then you have to end immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. You've gotten Whiplash. your audience, which is exactly what happened with Whiplash, which is a film I also had disagreements with, but. Uh, it was definitely a better film in my mind than La La Land. But you, you build the film up to a climax, you get your audience to the exact emotional point you want, and then you end the movie and you have to let them start talking with their friends about it and start tweeting and Facebooking and whatever. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're going to just start getting kind of frustrated. So La La Land ellipsing past the climax to show me a 20-minute denouement was just mm-hmm. awful. But there were so many little directorial decisions that uh, when you see somebody like Kubrick and Nolan, you hear about them working... They're perfectionists, not to a fault because they still have to make the movie, mm-hmm. but they know exactly where they can uh, give in, so to speak, and where they can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term that's used is visually lossless perfection. Mm-hmm. There were so many moments in La La Land where I was like, that's where you gave in? Like, that was what you were okay with? Like, the, their first kiss between uh, Ryan Gosling and uh, was it Emma, Emma Stone? Stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. Emma Stone. Uh, they're about to kiss while they're watching Rebel Without a Cause, the film burns out. And, you know, the whole sequence is about they're about to kiss, something happens, to build up, build up, build up. All right, great. You know, I'll buy that no one's at Griffith Observatory, and I'll buy that they're floating around. Yeah, I'll buy all that. You're, you're, you got me in, this, in the scene. But the actual shot where they kiss, the camera operator misses his cue, 
He's pushing in. You can tell that the camera operator realizes he's going to miss, so he jumps forward, mm -hmm. and then he catches himself up again and gets... And that was the take that was used after mm -hmm. a whole 10, 15-minute build. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. That was the take? And there, there's just all these like little, little things mm -hmm. that... As you can clearly see, the world doesn't notice. And again, stupid people are stupid. You know. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I didn't notice. A, a lot of people don't notice these these little mistakes that that are jump out so glaring to me. But those little decisions, the little things that you fight for, are the difference between an acceptable piece of entertainment and a truly great piece of art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, guilty pleasure. Guilty pleasure. La La Land for Marcus. No. <laughs> guilty pleasure was a movie I saw for. It would have been like my. 14th birthday, I think, because it came out right on my birthday uh, in 2007, I think it was, Shoot 'em Up. Oh, that's such a fun movie. I love that movie so unbelievably much, and I still, to this day, it's brilliant. It's, uh, the, the, the theme, or the, uh, the idea behind the movie is what would happen if you took Bugs Bunny and turned him into an action hero, mm -hmm. and have, have you seen No, that? I haven't seen it. Oh my god, it's... The opening, I'm not even gonna get it, but like, he, carrots are a thing as a weapon, and... Mm -hmm. It's just, it's as comical, or as unrealistic as you can get with gun action to the sake of, to the point of comedy without ever being silly. It's ludicrous. Sure. And like, it's it's comical, but at no point are you ever like, that couldn't happen. Even though obviously none of these things could happen. <laughs> You're still just 100%, like, he'll be sliding around on oil and, you know, shooting everywhere. And there's a part where... Uh, uh, he gives uh, delivers a baby during a gunfight, and that's amazing. It's just it is the most fun you could ever have watching an action. My movie. my roommate in college and I went to a, a theater, like a dinner theater, and got like giant German steins of <laughs> beer because it just felt like that kind of movie, and just Absolutely chugged is. those down watching this film. Like have beer and alcohol, not because that's what helps it or hurts it, but it's, it's just that it's movie. because it deserves sure. it. It, it deserves, deserves it. it, and it is. Afterwards, like that movie was so ridiculously, amazingly awesome. Oh, great example! It's what John Wick is today. Uh, oh, it's, it's, fantastic! But okay. John Wick was definitely a lot more serious. This was more comic. John Wick is phenomenal. But that yeah. same level of over-the-top action that's still grounded in. Have you seen two? Of course. Is it good? Um, I think that, I haven't heard any reviews about it. I don't think I haven't heard anything. I think the first one's a better film. Um, I like the first one better. Uh, the second one ramps up and is still a good, good, good movie. Okay. Um, the first one, though, I am. Marcus and I love music and film, and uh, the first one has these unbelievably gorgeous mm -hmm. set pieces choreographed to music that, I mean, my God, it is, it, it's, it's, it's harmonic. It's I, would, I would say that's another connecting, you talk, we talk about using Nicolas Cage, like if you have a director that knows their talent, mm -hmm. that's, again, you, if you find that role for Keanu. There was no use, other actor who could have done this than, than Keanu. Oh, no, yeah. and, and made it work. Yeah, It was perfect. And uh, make it so brutal. Absolutely. So God, it was gorgeous. The red circle scene is what I'm specifically talking about. So I've been thinking and ratting, like, just going through my brain of what my favorite film is, and it is almost impossible to choose. That's what Flick Charts for. Right, I should do it. So I'm going to be like, probably uh, like uh, Nick and kind of give a few, but like Shawshank Redemption um, is one of I, I, I don't care what you think. I love that movie. Oh, cut yeah. that. Bleep that. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Dark Knight. Of course. Um, it's just mm. a fantastic piece of art. Mm. Um, and then I would have to say on top of that, uh, Inglorious Bastards. It's another one. I don't care. I don't care. Can, I it has the greatest opening love, scene of all time. Love, can, thank you. Can we talk two separate things? So Dark Knight first, I want to say, 
I, I got in a huge argument with one of my best friends in high school uh, about this movie. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's one of the most brilliant things. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it and you watch it, clearly there's a bunch of things that don't make any sense. No, absolutely. Chris. absolutely. Yeah. And my friend used that as an argument about why the movie is bad, because mm-hmm. these things exist. And my argument was the exact opposite. The movie is so much more impressive for the fact that these things are obviously there, mm-hmm. and it took you five times of watching before yeah. you saw what was obviously there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how good the storytelling is. Well, I, I think it's also how good the acting and it minus the You could argue some of the best acting of all time. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And, and I think that uh, Letters from the, uh, Lessons from the Screenplay is absolutely. so dead oh, so perfect about that. Um, and then I'd say the uh, film that. Uh, for me, the people I know, a lot of people really enjoyed, and it was the beginning of her acting career being um, uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Winter's Bone I was seen probably it. the last film that I saw that I was like, "This movie is so bad." And <laughs> really, like, like just, and it has so much acclaim. Like, uh, we, uh, it's, uh, it's myself and my, my she now is. wife, we we were dating at the time. We rented it because there was so much hoopla right. about it. We turned it off halfway through. We were so bored like we had to stop it and then try to finish it later because we rented it we paid for it let's finish it <laughs> but to me like that is the I guess I may have missed it I missed the underlining tones of it or the underlying theme but it's the first movie I saw where at the end I'm like I have no idea why I watched that film I have no idea why I should have had to watch that film mm-hmm. that film gave, and kind of going with having purpose in film there was I got nothing out of that film. And that for you is one of the worst movies that you've seen? That, that to me is probably like in the sense of just nothing from it. Mm-hmm. Like and I, it, I was bored. The like the acting was okay but it was just it was like I could have watched a blank screen and I would have felt I've gotten the same thing out of it. Hmm. Uh, it and I know point. people are out there going hey, it, was, it was amazing she's amazing she, you know, I, and, and their points are valid and, and if I went back and watched it I may actually really enjoy it now yeah. but, but you were just so turned off in the first few oh my right? gosh it was just like this I don't, it's her looking for her dad in the winter and it feels like there's more, like there's going to be more I think this is what made me so mad it was like they kept feeling like there was going to be more to it because they keep almost throwing out different things like oh it's going to become this kind of more intense thing and it doesn't. It's literally like, it's if, like Michael, if I was watching a video of Michael looking for his wallet for 30 minutes, would probably be more entertaining than this, this film. This is what Vittorio, Vittorio Storaro uh, has been saying so long. He's mm-hmm. a very, very, very famous cinematographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shot Apocalypse Now. He mm-hmm. shot uh, Last Emperor. He's one of the most famous, especially when it comes to use of color. Mm-hmm. And he said his real problem with digital is not the fact that other people have access to technology, not the fact that it looks different. His problem is that you can put a camera down, you can look through the viewfinder, and you can think you already have a movie just because you put actors in the place. Mm -hmm. But just because you're rolling a camera doesn't mean you've made something uh, of value. We have that correlation, that connection in our head, because it used to be when a film was made, there was a reason for it to be made. Mm -hmm. You didn't just make it just Mm because. So every film that was made that did go through the whole process did have value to it. So we have that connection that that already is there, and we project those values onto a lot of films that don't deserve that value whatsoever. Yeah. Well, it's just, it really, I, and, and I, from what I remember, it looked great. Honestly, it was, so it was very pretty, pretty but I don't care. That, just, that's kind of how I feel about Clint Eastwood's Gran Torino, which was supposed to be the send-off to his acting career, mm-hmm. and his acting performance is brilliant. Visually, it looks like a great Clint Eastwood film, but the actor, he, the choice of casting people who are not actors to fill in all of these other roles, for me, it was very apparent, mm-hmm. and it thus kind of hinders the impact. Absolutely. For me, it was just 
you didn't feel that genuine. I was so uh, mad truthful. watching that. I was so That's mad. what I'm always talking about with the shoulders. It's yes. your, your, comf- your comfort, your body positioning, how mm-hmm. you wear your own skin is the start of connecting to the audience. My guilty pleasure movie is Demolition Man. I oh. love that movie. Okay. Just, I don't know why, but that movie just is so much fun to watch for me. It doesn't make any sense. There's totally incredibly ridiculous <laughs> moments in that film. But I love that film. Uh, I will change my opinion to Face Off as, oh, as my okay. favorite. Face Off is a good movie. <laughs> Face Off is a classic. It's a terribly good movie. Yeah. Uh, man, that was awesome. That was so much fun. Uh, so I want to end this real quick uh, with something that we do on the show. Um, before Friendster, or before Facebook, after Friendster, there was a little place called MySpace. Mm. That's um, where I spent most of my days after school. You spent a lot of boring time there, and one of the things MySpace was great at was a hundred question quizzes that had nothing to do with anything and had no Buzzfeed. impact in your life. Yes, yes it was BuzzFeed and personality quizzes before BuzzFeed and personality quizzes. I found the 167 word uh, question MySpace quiz that will give us nothing and really add no nothing to our lives, but will let people know a little bit more about you and hopefully have fun doing it. Okay. So I had each of you pick three numbers. Usually we do six numbers, so I had each of you to pick three, Marcus and Nick. You've never seen these questions. Nope. I have. He's lying. Oh, he has seen these questions, <laughs> but I changed them on him at the last minute. I had MySpace once. So, so uh, you both can answer. These are for both of you guys. Um, question number one, most visited web page. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Second most visited web page. No. Uh, <laughs> Go to like 10. <laughs> so for, uh, most visited proper public... Uh, probably uh, oh, Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no film school would probably be mine. No film school. Right. If, if not that, then uh, Red User. Gotcha. I spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time right. there. This kind of, kind of connects to the next one. The first school you went to. Pinecrest? No, Annie uh, and Papa's. It was a, it was a daycare. Yeah, it was, it was, I went to a preschool. I don't know the name of preschool. Yeah, preschool. Willow Elementary was the name of my elementary school, though. Okay. Uh, have you... Uh, how do you want to die? Getting dark. Um, in control. Well, that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> you obviously don't listen to Bill Burr and his health I know how I don't want to die. I definitely don't want to die by drowning or by being burned alive. Thank you, Prestige, yeah. for telling me how miserable that is. Um, I don't know how to die. I'll, I'll answer it this way. The... I just heard a quote about this, which was one of the best quotes I've ever in my life. Elon Musk's answer to this question is, I want to die on Mars, just not on impact. <laughs> I like it. Okay. I'll go with that answer. Uh, have you ever broken someone's heart? Oh, yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> Do you love MTV? Like yeah. the sure. channel or yeah. what it's done to our society? No, just the channel. Do you love MTV? I, yeah, I get, I get a lot of entertainment from it. I don't really have a lot of love for MTV. Okay. Uh, uh, and finally, your last question: Would any of your exes take you back? I'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Man, really got them thinking. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely packed on a few more pounds since probably the last time they saw me. <laughs> so I don't know how that would work out, but uh, I, I would hope that. I've grown as a person because whatever reason we, we ended before was probably my fault. So I've <laughs> hoped that I've grown as a person and yes, they gotcha. would take me back. Okay. How about you, Nick? I think we're 
not together for a reason. Okay. All right. Good answer. Fair enough. If you have more, no, no, that is it for now. Uh, Maybe when you guys come back another time, we'll we'll do that. Thank you so much for a great roundtable discussion, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Uh, Real quick, where can people find you once again? Uh, They can find us. uh, You can email us directly at leadinglobos at gmail.com if you'd like to contact us for any business uh, matters, or you can find us on social media at leadinglobos or my personal account at mfriedlander1. And uh, Whirly Media on... Facebook. How do you spell that? Uh, <laughs> um, that is going to be spelled Whirly, as in Whirly. Uh, you'll see it on the headline. W-R-Q-L-L-Y. It'll be in the description. It'll be in the description. The color is purple. On the right of the video, click this link, it'll take you to Whirly Media. It's spelled, yeah, just with a lot of hieroglyphics. Well, thank you so much, guys. Thank you, everyone listening. Thank you again, Michael, for being such an awesome producer. Back to you, Michael and Daniel in the studio, Demolition. Man is awesome. Welcome back, everyone. So let's dive into this amazing conversation that we just had with Leading Lobos. I, I mean, just first off, Nick and Marcus are two of the best people that you could ever just have a conversation with about movies and about film and storytelling. Uh, some of the conversation we actually had to edit out because we just kept talking on and on and on about some of our favorite movies and we hope to actually release some of that bonus material maybe at a later date but my goodness uh, it is just so exciting to talk with Nick and Marcus uh, because they're artists and they understand what art can do and what storytelling can do and Marcus mentioned at the beginning of the discussion how film is this meta art form that is the culmination of all 20th century art forms into one product. And when he said that, my mind just kind of blew up for a second because it's true. You, It's the utilization of music and of writing, acting, dance, choreography, and all sculpture and <laughs> design and all of these things things come into play when it comes to film so I thought that was a fascinating take on it and then how Nick really just pushed that film and film also meaning television is the most important art form uh, that's currently out there today now here on Hollywood Hustle we're interviewing artists of all types and so it's it's always fascinating to hear when an artist comes on our platform and make such a bold statement, but also really backing it up. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. Reach out to us. Um, we're on social media, so would love to hear your thoughts. Or you can always email us, uh, hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. But what do you think about this idea of currently in 2017, what is the most important art form for you? What is the thing that connects all of us? And so with Nick uh, and Marcus, certainly film is their vehicle that they're looking at and that has the opportunity to share such a story that can feel not only local but global at the same time and that was also a really interesting conversation about how art is supposed to challenge you art is supposed to push you to think differently that uh, Marcus had said if you come out of a movie thinking about something that you had not thought of before, that's a success. Whether or not the movie was quote-unquote good or not, if it makes you come out of the film thinking a different way, 
that is in itself a success. And film really does have that opportunity to reach a global audience. And, you know, it could be like the prestige. It could be set in a period 1800s London. But when you watch it, you can be anywhere on the globe and you're experiencing that moment. And the themes that are explored can also relate to you and your own situation. Uh, Now, there was also some really engaging conversation that we had uh, in this episode about uh, certain content, like uh, Daniel brought up the Netflix series, uh, 13 Ways to Die. And so... And while there there was definitely disagreement, certainly about, you know, whether, you know, Daniel or Nick saw eye to eye maybe on the message of the piece or uh, maybe it as a collective whole, but there was no, there was no misunderstanding knowing that it is important that this series exists because it's bringing up the conversation about national uh, suicide, especially amongst the youth in this country. And so it's a much needed conversation. And so that is also the beauty of film is that it creates conversation. It brings out stories that would otherwise go unspoken. So I think it's really fascinating that Nick and Marcus were really able to come on to this podcast and really engage with us on that. And I would love to hear what you guys think of what was discussed on this episode. Um, now, remember to also check out Nick and Marcus on social media uh, at Leading Lobos, both on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, what are some of your favorite movies that have pushed you to think outside of yourself or that challenged you to a previously uh, held belief? We would love to know. So please let us know. Uh, tag Leading Lobos. Tag us. Uh, we're on social media on Twitter at LA Hustlecast. We're also on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. And that's our handle as well on Facebook. And as I also said earlier, you could always email us as well. That's a great way to just one on one communication with us. Hollywood Hustle Podcast at gmail.com. So, um, Thank you, Nick and Marcus, for coming on the show. Uh, we, we can't wait to have them back. Uh, maybe we can have a roundtable discussion with other filmmakers that we've had on the podcast. It would be great. To, in today's episode, you actually got to hear Daniel and I speak a lot about one of our favorite movies to come out uh, this past year, M. Night Shyamalan's film, Split. Well, next week, you're going to get to hear our Act 1 interview with child actress Izzy Coffey who played the young Casey in the film. Although she may be young, her attitude and approach to her acting career shows a level of maturity that often takes many, many years for an actor to reach in Los Angeles, in life, and she's only eight years old. So get ready. It's going to be a really exciting conversation, and we can't wait to share this episode with you. Uh, Thank you again for listening to our episode. Uh, Remember to hit subscribe if you really like this episode. Uh, Subscribe to us on whatever podcast channel you're listening to. Remember, we are holding a special Halloween listener contest where if you submit us a review on iTunes, uh, you get a chance uh, to win a signed uh, Team Hustle photo of Daniel and I uh, done by Eric Carroll Photography. And you'll also get a signed poster of... uh, 
Death Ward 13, starring Ashley Mary Nunez and directed by her brother, Todd Nunez, whose interview is going to be coming out later this month. And we're going to be revealing the winner of that episode here in just a couple weeks. It starts today, October 3rd, and we'll be closing that uh, on October seventeenth. Uh, so you got a couple weeks to go on iTunes, leave us a review. We hope it's a five-star review. If you if you give us a four-star review, we totally understand, but we'd appreciate the five because again, we're a new podcast, and any type of positive uh, ratings will uh, boost us up in the charts. So we'd really appreciate that, and we'd love to hear from you. So and again, we're also on Twitter at la hustlecast on Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. You can also reach out to me. I'm at Michael Lutheran on both Twitter and Instagram. Love to hear from you guys. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your love and support during this time while I've been healing, while I've been moving, and all of your positive energy is going into a really good place. Booked a commercial, booked a new home, a new chapter of my life. So sending all of my love out to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And guys, remember while you're working hard, while you're, you know, pursuing your dream, take a moment to relax and find a moment of rest, but always remember to keep up the hustle. This episode of Hollywood Hustle Podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, visit our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.